This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and as always, I'm joined by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you, mate. How's things at your end? Yes, all good, thanks. You've had a a lovely afternoon watching... uh... England win the Women's Euros final, haven't you? We're recording a little bit later than usual as you've been hooked to the TV. I certainly have. Was not going to miss it for the world. Congratulations to everyone, obviously, and uh, great to see them them doing well and winning the Euros. Hopefully the men can follow suit uh, in Qatar this summer. That would make us all very happy, wouldn't it? Uh, As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you to our sponsors at Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. On today's podcast, we'll be analysing all the key talking points from the opening weekend of the championship season. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, we're back. Another season. Uh, looking forward to it. Same usual format where we're going to run through all the uh, all the games this weekend. Going to leave the draws till the end. Normally, we won't really touch on draws in depth, but given there was five of them this weekend out of the 11 matches, uh, with obviously Watford and Sheffield United to play on Monday night, uh, we will go a little bit more in detail on those later on in the pod than we normally would. Um, so we're going to start with probably the surprise result of the championship weekend, which was Cardiff City 1, Norwich City 0. Um, Cardiff running out 1-0 winners at the Cardiff City Stadium. Remains Sawyer's deflected strike, the difference between the two teams. It, it wasn't a classic. In fairness, the, the entirety of the championship weekend, it's not been an absolute thriller, if we're being completely honest. I've watched three live games. Uh, I watched Burnley on Friday night. I was obviously at Blackburn against QPR on Saturday. And I watched Sunderland versus Coventry today. Probably the, the Coventry-Sunderland game, probably the best of the three. Um, but very interesting that of the 11 games, as I say, six wins, five draws, and only one of those games that were won by one of the teams was more than a one-goal margin, which was, of course, uh, Millwall beating Stoke 2-0, which we'll come on to later. So really tight weekend in general. And again, we saw this at, at the, uh, the Cardiff City Stadium where there weren't a lot of chances. You know, Cardiff uh, managed to restrict Norwich to an XG of 0.27. I think Cardiff's XG was 0.08 as well. So between them, they barely mustered the chances of a, a third of a goal uh, between them. But that said, I think we've got to give Cardiff a lot of credit because they were organised, restricted Cardiff, uh, restricted Norwich to, clear, to very few clear-cut chances, I've just said there. And yes, there was a, there was a touch of fortune about the goal. Um, but I think you've got to give Cardiff a lot of credit for the way they stifled Norwich, like the look of the team. Obviously, there's a lot of new players to bed in. Still think they need a striker, but I think everyone knows that. But Max Waters seems to be the man who's going to get the game time until someone does come in, uh, with Calamo Dowder and, and Shea Ojo making the front three, Sawyers, Wintle and Rinomota in midfield, uh, and then a, a pretty solid back line of uh, Romeo uh, and G. Uh, and uh, Ryan also up in goal. So, very nicely settled team. And I think, thought they, they played well, restricted it. And Steve Morrison will just be delighted with that for, for an opening result. Definitely. It's the perfect start, isn't it? And we, we spoke about them in our preview episode, didn't we, about the 
the quantity of signings that they made, and we were a little bit sceptical about the quality of those, but it was the perfect start against arguably the title favourites. And I'm just going to throw this in. I did back it for my shock this weekend, so 1-0 to me on that score at the start of the season, just getting that in nice and early. But no, I thought Cardiff from the highlights I saw were the better side, in, which was a game, to be fair, light on quality. It wasn't Norwich at their best by by any stretch. But Cardiff were the better side and they did deserve it. Norwich were out of sorts. They weren't at their best. They weren't fluid in their movement and they didn't create enough to test Allsop in the Cardiff goal. <sighs> Slice of good fortune, perhaps, about the Cardiff winner, Romain Sawyers. For me, definitely didn't go for goal, I don't think. Could be wrong. I'm not convinced he went for it. But obviously, it's, it's crept through and found the bottom corner. But on the balance of the game, Cardiff deserved it. And like you said, Steve Morrison, it's, it's the perfect start on the opening day of the season. Three three points, clean sheet. It's It's... The, the start that every manager at any level of the game dreams of on the opening day. So for Cardiff now, obviously, it's hard to, to kind of gauge and say what they need to do from this and what they need to do and go where after one game. It's very, very difficult because they could lose next weekend 5-0. So back to square one again. But it's a starting point. It's something to build on, especially when you've beaten a team, as I say, that are you know, one of the favourites for automatic promotion this year. So for Cardiff, they've got to just now, you know, get another good week on the training ground, continue to build the fitness levels up and look ahead to their next game and hopefully make it back-to-back wins. Sawyers, for me, did what he does in the midfield, dictates things, gets proceedings under his own spell and, you know, moves the ball well. And his goal, flash of good fortune about it, but he was in the right place at the right time to have a pop and it, it went in. So... A very good start for Steve Morrison. Dean Smith, on the other hand, I think he'll be concerned with with how things went. It was it was it was very lacklustre, wasn't it? It was very sloppy, I thought, from Norwich. It was poor. It was slow. Didn't have the zip and the energy that we're used to seeing from them at this level. But it's one game into a forty six game marathon. There's no need for panic. But for me, I think they they are still in need of of new blood in that team. I don't think there's been enough change, obviously, from a yet another Premier League relegation. I think they need some confidence injected into the into the play from what I saw on Saturday. But there's a long way to go, as I say. So I don't think there's any reason for panic for Norwich, but they've certainly got to improve on what they produced on Saturday. But it won't be easy against Wigan this coming weekend. That will be an easy game live on Sky on, on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, it's definitely a weekend for observations, not conclusions. But definitely. you can't help but look at that Norwich City team sheet that came out and I think they looked a little bit thin, particularly on the bench for, for people to come in and change the game. Obviously players like Kieran Dowell missing um, as well, which would obviously inject some quality, but they do definitely need some more bodies. And to me, they just look like a team that perhaps were carrying a bit of a hangover. And maybe that's a bit extreme to say after one game, but they, they just look like they they were playing with the shackles on a little bit, they, bit a little bit bereft of confidence the, the big question is, can they shake that losing mentality and feeling from the Premier League? And it has it wasn't an issue for them in the previous seasons under Daniel Farker, of course, got promoted uh, as champions at the first time of asking straight back up. But you've got to say there's less, I think there's less confidence from championship neutrals that Norwich will be as strong. I think that's a fair comment to say across the, the board from what I've seen. And they certainly didn't play with the same sort of freedom of, of big boys coming back down into a division they know they can dominate. It, it looked a little bit laboured at times. And as I say, it's not like they managed to cut Cardiff open and missed a load of chances. You know, 0.27 XG is not befitting of a Norwich team in the championship from what we've seen on the previous two years' evidence. And a lot of that squad does ultimately still remain the same. There's a few little changes here and there. But 
a little bit concerning, but equally plenty of time to go for Norwich. Yeah, there's plenty of time. Obviously, there's a well, there's a long, 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 long way to go. I mean, we've barely even got started, have we? But it's not the ideal start, is it? Put it that way. It's when you've come down, you always want to get off to a good start. And obviously, one team that did that we'll talk about very shortly. But, I mean, obviously this time Norwich are without Emi Buendia. He was such a big player for them the last time they were in this league. But they've still got good players at this level. Todd Campwell, Timo Puki just being a couple. But the thing that worries me perhaps a little bit about this Norwich team is that a lot of it's been the same for quite a number of years now. And it, for me, it's in need of, a, need of a freshness. It needs an upgrade. But... The transfer business has been really, really slow. I thought there'd be a much higher turnover of players than we've seen. But that's just not seemingly materialising and there doesn't seem to be any plan for that to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go in. But yeah, one game in, not the greatest of starts, but they, they certainly performance-wise, they need to improve on what they produced on Saturday. And if Norwich City underwhelmed, I think it's fair to say that Burnley certainly did the, the opposite pretty much with their 1-0 win at Huddersfield Town. This was a game that we both watched uh, live on Sky Sports and really good start for for Company Ball. I thought they were they were dominant in possession. I thought Josh Cullen was excellent with with seventy nine passes completed at eighty one, and I thought they dominated. And I thought tactically it was really interesting. They obviously have been playing with a four triple two um, in pre season, but if you watched how they were in possession, it was very much three four three with Connor Roberts tucking in from right back to make a right centre back. Charlie Taylor playing in the back four. Where obviously we we know him as more of a left back. He was playing left-sided centre-back essentially when, when they had possession with uh, Harwood Bellis in the middle. And that meant that although Roberts, we, we you know, it's a bit weird. We know Roberts for being a bombing on wing-back, but he was actually tucking round. But it meant Matson could get really high, almost play as a left-winger, which obviously played wing-back for Coventry last year. And I thought he was excellent. And the amount of times Cullen would pick the ball up sort of from the right-hand side and be able to spray diagonals off to open up the pitch, um, I thought he was excellent. I thought Cullen was excellent. And I thought Burnley were brilliant. They they, they clearly need more depth. Uh, the squad looks a little bit thin in terms of um, the the squad list that came out. They obviously got a few injuries. Jay Rodriguez missing. They definitely need some more signings. Obviously, Dara Costello getting his debut. The young striker who um, essentially had to play on the right hand side. He, he did okay, but they're definitely going to need more reinforcements and more strikers um, in order to to get that squad really up and running. But yeah, I thought it was a really good start. I thought I was really impressed with the way that Burnley pressed, in particular with the you know companies not been in that long. So to get things like structures of passage of play and in their pressing to get that so you know so sharp so quickly, I was really impressed with the way they hunted the ball. And as I say on the ball, it was just complete contrast to what we're used to with Burnley. But I thought they were excellent. I have to say they were very very good, very very good. I must admit I was impressed, and they they did catch me by surprise. I didn't. You know, opening night, you don't really know what to expect from any team, but I wasn't expecting performance, you know, so commanding and so professional, and that's exactly what it was. Obviously, we'll talk about Huddersfield, who were very, very poor, particularly in the first half, which did help matters. But Burnley, just looking at, obviously, you can only beat what's in front of you, and they played really, really well. They played some lovely football at times. Several individuals who you've mentioned really caught the eye, Matson being one, Josh Cullen, certainly the other one of the two that were probably the standout players for Burnley. I thought Ashley Barnes had quite a decent game up top, led the line well. And you just you just feel, even though it's only one game into the season, that if Burnley can perform to that sort of level every week, they're going to be there or thereabouts. And you just feel that, you know, a little bit more firepower at the top end of the pitch 
they could be a real force we reckon with if they play that sort of way. And yeah, it's a starting point. It's important not to get carried away. But Vincent Company will be delighted with what he saw, a win away from home. Let's not forget against a side that missed out on promotion, the right at the death last season in the playoff final. Obviously, they've lost Carlos Corbran, and they've lost their two best players in Toffolo and O'Brien. But for Vincent Company, his first game in management in England, especially in the Championship, you know, it's such a robust league. It's so difficult for anybody to adapt to from abroad so quickly and easily. He made it look easy, I thought. I thought his team were, were, you know, really understanding of what he wanted. They played with a little bit of a swagger at times. and They were entertaining to watch. And Cullen in the middle, I thought, really boss proceedings. Josh Brownhill, we know he's capable of at this level. And obviously, Scott Twine, obviously, they're arguably their standout sign of the summer didn't even start. So it just goes to show what Burnley can potentially build on over the coming weeks. They do need more firepower at the top end of the pitch. There's no doubt about that. They definitely need another... For me, another two strikers, I think, definitely is a minimum. So if they get them through the door, maybe, a, I don't know, a bit more quality at the top end of the attacking midfield chain, they could be a real force we reckon with. But yeah, it's a starting point. It's very, very early days. There'll be much tougher tests to come. But very impressed on, on first viewing for what Vincent Company's got. And like you said, to have installed that style so quickly, the players seem to have really bought into it. And that'll be really pleasing for him and the fans as well. It was the understanding for me, and I say when to press, when to switch play, all those sort of philosophy, style of play sort of things that usually take a long time, not just a short preseason. So I was just really impressed with how, you know, the good footballers, they're going to be able to keep the ball, but to, to you know, to learn how to press in the way they did when it's been the complete opposite with Sean Dyche, it was those sort of things that really impressed me and would encourage me if I was a Burnley supporter. That said, on the flip side, Huddersfield were pretty dreadful, if we're being honest, particularly in the first half, as you said earlier. They played sort of with a mid-block where they were happy for the Burnley centre-halves to keep it, but the whole point in playing a mid-block is when it becomes into your sort of your half and your defensive third. You've got to engage. You've got to get close to people. You've got to try and press. And they just didn't do that. I thought they looked really leggy in central midfield. You know, John Russell was someone who had a breakout season last year. But I thought he was really poor. I thought he looked um, quite immobile, if I'm being completely honest. I thought Hogg didn't really get in and snapping tackles. And I think that showed how much the energy of Lewis O'Brien is going to be missed. If, if people thought Russell was going to be able to come in and take that spot, I think they're going to miss a lot from midfield with that, that energy. And they just didn't press very well. And Burnley, it was way too easy for them to knock the ball around in that first half in particular, under no pressure whatsoever. Now, they did improve after the after the break a little bit, but still, you just you only saw a second goal coming for Burnley rather than the other way. And I was really concerned by, as I say, of all the things that I'm waxing lyrical about Burnley, the understanding, the pressing, the style of play, Huddersfield didn't look like they knew what they were meant to be doing. And that is more of a concern because the whole point in appointing Danny Schofield was for continuity and to prevent having to do a complete new pre-season with new ideas and new structures. The whole point was to keep the same ideology. And I thought they just pressed really badly when in their own final third and it was it was a it was a worry for me with Huddersfield they were really lethargic yeah they did they to me they looked lost and they looked you know bewildered of ideas they didn't look as though they they understood what was being asked of them and like you said there the idea of bringing Schofield in was to keep a little bit of things the same and just you know tweak things ever so slightly but for me they just they looked lost they looked leggy they didn't they almost didn't realise as though the season was here, almost, I thought. They were, you know, in the first half, they were just completely, they were non-existent. If Burnley, they, they for were me, undercooked, weren't they? They looked undercooked. It, 
if Burnley had got a little bit more firepower about them, Burnley could have been, you know, three or four up by half time. They 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 cut through them so easily. And Huddersfield, if it weren't for Tom Lees at the back, you know, they they really struggled. Matty Pearson's obviously a huge loss for them at the minute through injury. Saw's obviously gone. Obviously, Toffolo's gone as well. You know, they've lost a, a huge chunk of a very, very successful team last year. And you're bound to see a difference with that. But it was it looked like a real drop-off. And you almost fear, could Huddersfield, you know, I know it's after one game and I'm, it's very, very early to, to predict things and potentially dangerous to do that. But could, could they do what Barnsley did last year after their heroics this season before? Could they plummet that far down the ladder? It's very early to say that, and it, it you know it's it could come back to bite within two or three weeks. But it, it wasn't a good start, shall we say? That the performance was more concerning than the result. Put it that way. The Absolutely. second half was the second half was a little bit better, but not by much. Not compared to what we know this Huddersfield side was capable of last year. But when you stop and think about it, they've lost their manager and they've lost their best their best player and another one of their best players. So you were bound to see a difference. And as I said last week, Carlos Corbrani was their biggest asset and he's gone now. They've got to move on from it. But to me, they, they look like they're desperately missing him already. It was a very, very poor showing on the you know, the opening night when everybody's filled with optimism after coming so close last year. It, it was a very poor start. But full credit to Burnley, they, they were excellent. I really thought they played very, very well. Staying in Yorkshire, Hull City come back, uh, coming back late to beat Bristol City 2-1. Um, a hint of fortune, I think I'm going to say, about this result. Um, Vyman obviously putting Bristol City ahead. And then I have to say, I think it was a soft penalty. I've seen a lot of Hull City fans kicking off saying it was a definite penalty because there was contact. I've seen the slow image of, of the there is some contact from Naismith, but it's the way he then takes a step and then he goes down. So for me, I, I think it was harsh and I can see that Benjamin Tete there, there was contact on his ankle from Naismith but for me I don't think it's a penalty um I think Nigel Pearson's frustrations are, are pretty understandable I love the line of I don't really get in, what fancy getting fined on day one I, I enjoyed that but I think he can feel slightly hard done to with the penalty which is obviously a big turning point and then of course Seri's winner takes a, a huge deflection and loops over uh, Daniel Bentley in the last minute I think Bristol City were very unfortunate, but equally, I do think for the second goal, they could have cleared the lines a lot better. Yes, it's obviously very unlucky that it's it's looped up in the way it hasn't gone in, but they could have defended that better, that situation. I thought it was interesting that Sykes played at right wing-back over Kane Wilson. Um, no Semenya, of course, for Bristol City either. And for Hull, the two sort of uh, two of their marquee signings in, in Tufan with the penalty and then Seri getting on the score sheet and, and obviously great scenes at the end with uh, the owner, Ajon Ilajili, um celebrating. They'll be really happy to have, have pulled this off and I, I have a feeling we might see a little bit of a trend of this whole team where late comebacks might be a little bit of a thing. Maybe this year's Coventry, who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll, we shall see, but got to start with that penalty for me. Absolute joke of a decision. Never been a penalty in a million years for me. The way you know the way he carries on running for about a split second, then decides to throw himself to the floor. There's a little bit of contact for me though. If that was my team that had been given against, I'd be absolutely raging. I really, I really would. This is the problem with modern football, is it? Like I think we all would sit around a room and say that's not a penalty, but because we've got so transfixed on, well, if there's contact, you can go down. 
Yes, there is yeah. contact. There is. I'm absolutely not denying there is contact, Look, but there's no way that can be going down no, as a penalty. Exactly. There's, there's not enough contact to fall to the ground like that. It went down as though he'd been shot, but it was the way he carried on, you know, kind of, I'll just carry on, walking, carry on walking for a couple of seconds, then I'll fall over. Very, very cheeky. And it's not, it's not what you want to see on the opening day of the season. It really isn't. But it was given... Uh, and that's that whole, we're given the penalty, given a chance to get back into the game and they took it, even though it was never a penalty in a million years, but they took it and, you know, they turned things around. So they'll be really pleased with a, with a winning start for them, as you are with any team on the opening day. But to come from behind, obviously, that, that gives you a big boost, a little injection of confidence moving forward. And obviously for Hull, there's, you know, there's been a big turnover of players. They've lost two of their key assets from last season in George Honeyman and Keane Lewis Potter. So, so we've got off to a winning start without them is, you know, it's a it's a good first step because they're both big players to replace, particularly Lewis Potter. So they'll be looking now to drive forward and it obviously improve on last season. It's a it's a solid start. But that's all it is. It's a start. As with any team at this point in the season, just like Burnley, it's a start. So Hull can't get too carried away, but you've always got reason to be happy after an opening day victory. And like you said, to come from behind, that'll that'll do wonders and you never know, could they be one of those teams like Coventry did last year who just find a way to dig deep and find something, however, which way it comes. But for Bristol City, not the start they would have wanted, even though, you know, there was bits of good fortune about it in Hull's favour. So I don't think Nigel Pearson can be too disgruntled. By the sounds of it, Bristol City actually played pretty well for large parts of the game. And Andy Vyman did what Andy Vyman does, carried on where he left off last season. And just loves the goal against Hull City. Now it's six in his career against Hull. More goals against them than any other team he's ever faced. Four assists as well. So he's got a thing for playing them, but he'll be disappointed that they've not come away with three points having taken the lead. But for both sides, you know, it's a starting point and, and both will only get better. And both, you know, after last season, we're looking for significant improvement. The biggest winners of the weekend, of course, and top of the division as we sit here to, to recording today, are Millwall. They beat Stoke City 2-0. With a, what I would describe as a very Millwall-like performance, two set-piece headers from Leeds United loanee Charlie Cresswell, his first ever senior goal, and then he gets two in one game, London buses and all that. I, I thought Stoke, they just couldn't cope. And I don't want to be doing Millwall. I hope this doesn't sound like Millwall a disservice when I'm saying it's a Millwall-like performance and two set-piece goals. What I mean is causing problems with quality deliveries from set-pieces. You know, It's not a, a bad thing to be good at set-pieces. And they were... Some of the crosses that were coming in from Honeyman on the right and Scott Malone on the left, you know, there was multiple warnings for Stoke that they just didn't heed. Um, and of course, Cresswell turned both in. The second one, I have to say, was really ponderous defending from Stoke. They just didn't attack the ball whatsoever. They, they sort of crumbled. Um, and I, I have to say, I've got a really good feeling about Millwall. I know I was quite strong on them in the 1-24s. You didn't quite agree. I put them in seventh, but... I just like the way this team looks. And I think if they can keep that starting 11 fit, then I think they've got a real chance. And obviously, Zian Fleming, who's the, the new club record signing, he didn't even start. So I just think that it's a really good starting 11. And it's obviously, can they keep them fit? If they keep them fit for the bulk of the season, I think they'll be right up there challenging for sixth spot. If they don't, then they'll probably be more around sort of 10th. But it's a really good start for them. Um, I'd say they've got a lot of quality. The, the the wing-backs are really good. Malone gives you a lot down that left side. So does the young lad, Dan McNamara. Honeyman adds quality. Uh, I know a lot of people like Billy Mitchell. It feels like he's going to have a real... He sort of had a breakout season last year, but he's going to kick on another level this year. Um, so it, it just feels like a really solid unit. Players know what they're doing. 
Shackleton will add some quality. Cresswell's a really good replacement for Dan Ballard at the right centre-back spot. I like a lot about this Millwall team and it's a really good win for them. Certainly was. Trademark Millwall in a way, wasn't it? You know, big centre-halves attacking, crosses into the box and it worked a treat. And I've got a sneaky feeling that, you know, Charlie Creswell alongside Jake Cooper could be quite a, quite a partnership in terms of scoring goals this season. Both are man mountains inside the box and Creswell, I mean, he couldn't have dreamt of a better debut when he went to sleep on Friday night, could he? Two goals, the second of which I must say was taken excellently, even if he was helped by some slackstoke City defending. But for Gary Rowett, it epitomised everything of a Millwall-type display, battling, hard-working and it kind of, to me, struck as being one of those Millwall home victories where they've kept a clean sheet, they've battled, they've fought and they've come out on top and it's what they'll do throughout the season. So, like I've said, it's only the first game, it's important not to get carried away, but a very good benchmark starting point for Millwall and it's it's taken to the top. The league table, obviously, it means nothing after after game one, but just to see your name there at the top in first place, it, it brings a little smile to the fans fans' his face and I'm sure the players will take a degree of confidence from it into the coming week ahead of the next game. But yeah, I was I was I was impressed with what I saw from Millwall. It was everything that you'd expect from a Millwall team. Battling, challenging, dangerous from set pieces and like I say, Stoke, yeah, they gave him a helping hand from from poor defending, but it was it's what Millwall do. They've done it for years. Regardless of who's in charge, they've always been a tough nut to crack, particularly at home. So they could be in for a good year, like you say, and maybe I will live to regret my 14th place prediction. We will see. Looking back, it may have been a little bit um, bit harsh, that one. But we shall see. But a good start. And like you say, they, they will fancy the chance of being in the mix this year for the top six because they've been knocking on that door for several seasons. The recruitment's been good this summer. For me, I'd like to possibly see another striker added to that team just to challenge Tom Bradshaw and, and Benny Kafobi, But... It's a good starting point. Three points on the board, clean sheet. What more could you ask for? Yeah, for Stoke, I'm not sure the three-five-two is going to work. And I know it's the only the opening day. Obviously, uh, Dwight Gale and Tyrese Campbell got the nod up front. Jacob Brown on the bench. I feel like if they're going to win games of football, they need to get find a way to get those three on the pitch. And I think four-three-three is the obvious way to do that with Campbell off the right and, and Brown off the left and Gale down the middle. Uh, one bright spark, at least for, for Stoke, was Connor Taylor, who, who started at right centre-back. He was on loan last season at Bristol Rovers, got promoted, of course, out of League Two. And um, he signed a new contract this year and, and looked really assured playing in that right centre-back role. I think the club got really high hopes for him. And I know that fans were, were still pretty happy and pleased with his performance, despite the disappointing result. Um, the game I was at next, Ewood Park for Blackburn Rovers, won at Queen's Park Rangers, nil. Quite an interesting one because I didn't really know what to expect because it's two new managers coming in with who can get their style of play and philosophy down the quickest. Obviously, I've, I've seen a lot of Blackburn in pre-season, given I cover them every week. Um, it wasn't. It was a game <coughs> of fine margins, if I'm being completely honest. Obviously, Lewis Travis's goal was fantastic, 30-yard into the top corner, very reminiscent of a, a fellow Turkish midfielder that uh, is very popular around the, uh, the Darwin area. But... When you look on the opposite side, QPR had a pretty identical shot that, that crashed off the bar from Osman Kaikai. Kaminsky got a touch, I think. And, you know, if that one flies in and Travis's doesn't, then it's, it's a whole different outlook. So I don't think there wasn't a lot in the game, but equally you wouldn't come away and say Blackburn didn't deserve to win. Um, and for me, looking at the sort of the, the from a philosophy point of view, there, were, there was clear patterns of play and you can see what Blackburn are trying to do in possession. It's going to be very tight and narrow in across that front four but it is almost a, a you know six defend and four attack and that front four 
And on, on the weekend, it was Brereton Diaz, Jack Vale, who got his first championship start up front. Um, Ryan Hedges playing as a number 10 and um, Sam Gallagher off the right, which I'm, I'm not sure quite works. But you can see that they're going to play four forwards pretty much every game. They're going to play very close together, not a lot of width, very narrow, lots of interchanging of positions. And it's going to have to be quick, slick, one-touch passing. And that's how they're going to try and get him round the back. Um, and when they did it, you know, when they were obviously when the, the the good moments came, you could see what they were trying to do, and it was a step in the right direction. So I was impressed. I thought Daniel Ayala was absolutely fantastic. He was man of the match for me, an absolute rock, and it was a reminder that he's a, he's a, he can be a you know he's still a top end championship defender if he's playing every week and if you're asking him to do the right things. If you ask him to stand on the halfway line and play with a high defensive line, it's not going to work. If you ask him to defend his 18-yard box, he's going to be as good as anyone in the division. Still very good on the ball. And I think it was a reminder of... It was a bit of a coup to get him in, really. But in the two years he's been at Blackburn, they've not really had a good look at him. Um, and if he can stay fit in what is a very young squad, he's going to be a really big player for them. I thought Callum Britton was really solid in debut at, at right-back. And they've got a couple more hopefully coming in. The noises I'm hearing that it's, it's pretty, you know, looking pretty good that they will, will get Sammy Smodics. Who I definitely think will probably take the the Jack Vale role um, in that that starting lineup. So I could see Smodic coming from the right, very narrow. Brereton Diaz off the left, um, Gallagher up front, and then you're looking at Dak or Hedges um, competing for that sort of number ten role, and Dolan as well. So those are the sort of three I can see. I think it will work with Smodic. I, you know, when they were first linked with Smodic, I kind of thought that it wouldn't quite fit. I didn't know where he was going to play. But now, having watched Blackburn in pre-season, I can see it's going to be very narrow, lots of interchanging and fluidity. So I can see him coming in and being a success. Tyler Morton's another one they won, um, which should be completed next week, potentially. Um, nothing to say that won't get done, but Liverpool just held on to him for a little bit longer because they've had a few injuries in midfield. Uh, definitely need a centre-back. That's a new transfer priority, 100%, because Hayden Carter's going to miss four weeks or so with a hamstring injury. So... Their, their options at centre-half at the moment are Daniel Ayala, Scott Wharton, who started. And then you had youngster Sam Barnes on the bench and 17-year-old Ash Phillips as the 19th man as a fourth-choice centre-back. So they've got to bring someone in. But I was really infused by by that first performance from Blackburn and I think Yondal Thompson was as well. Certainly. It was a great start, you know. I mean, it was always going to mark the beginning of a new dawn for Blackburn Rovers, wasn't it? And obviously, you know more on the subject than me on this one, but... Impressive first signs, I thought. Pre-season, you know, there was flashes, wasn't there? There was some good things and young Jack Vale was particularly one of the highlights. But Lewis Travis obviously stole the headlines on this occasion with the captain's armband. What a goal that was. Absolutely sensational from him. And considering, obviously, things have been slow on the transfer front for Rovers this summer, they look to me as if they, they could be in a good way, you know, to 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 push that top six. They, they're certainly... You know, they're in with the right of being in the conversation for that push. We've we've mentioned others already about your Burnley's being up there and your whole cities might knock on the door a little bit this year and there's others. But Blackburn for me, with the foundations they've laid already, with the players they've got, if they particularly if they keep Ben Burton Diaz, why can't they be in the mix? You know, they gave it a, a really good go last year, obviously fell as the season went on, they fell away a little bit, but you know, the quality is there. Gallagher's a top-end championship player. Brereton Diaz, the same. Ayala, you've mentioned, you know, if you keep him fit, that experience at the back is going to be so crucial because he obviously, Blackburn, there's a lot of young players in that team, but somebody of his ilk, and we knew what he did at Middlesbrough. He was, he was a colossus there, really, wasn't he? He was the best 
you know, when Middlesbrough were un- up there under Ida Karanka about, what, five or six years ago, he was arguably the best centre-back in the division, Daniel Ayala. So with that experience and that pedigree in that team around the youngsters, you know, you've got a really, really experienced head there that can lend his support and lead by example, particularly now that Daryl Lenihan's obviously moved on in the summer. So for, for John Dahl Thomason, having somebody like that is going to be key. But obviously, new signs are needed. You know that more are coming coming Rovers' way. But to get a win on the opening day, spectacular goal as well to win it. Perfect start and, and on to the next one for them. But for QPR, they'll be disappointed. Not the start Michael Beale will have wanted to his managerial career. But long way to go and they'll only improve, as will Blackburn as the season goes on. But for Blackburn, great start, three points, clean sheet and a wonder goal to seal the points. Yeah, I think I think for Blackburn, there's no reason why the starting eleven that, that started on Saturday, maybe throw in uh, Dak instead of Vale, for example. That's that. That's first eleven is good enough to compete in the top ten of the championship. I think the problem is when you start getting injuries and you start having three game weeks because they just haven't got the depth whatsoever. So that's where they need a couple of centre backs. I would say two central midfielders. Maybe they'll only go for one because they, they quite like Adam Wharton, who's a youngster breaking through, as well as Jake Garrett. Uh, and they need obviously Smodics or an attacker of some kind just to bolster that as well. So, and that's hoping Burton stays. So, plenty to build on from a QPR point of view. They had some really nice passages of play, but they just didn't create anything. They didn't have a single shot on target. Um, they really struggled without Tyler Roberts and Chris Willock, who were both uh, out of the get out of the team. Roberts injured. Willock was injured, but actually missed the game through illness. Who actually would have played had he? Um, had he not picked up an illness on, on Thursday, Mick Beale said in his post-match press conference. So I felt at times Ilias Chair probably took too many touches on the ball because he thought, probably felt he had to do it all. They played with Shadipo on the right, who obviously didn't have a great season with Sheffield Wednesday. So for him to be starting on the opening day was a surprise. So I think QPR, you could see what they were trying to do. They had a really nice spell probably from the 15th minute until Blackburn scored, where they looked really good. That's when they had the shot they hit the bar from Kai Kai. I like I liked um, the partnership of Rob Dickey and, and uh, Clark Salter. I thought they complement each other nicely. So I think I would judge more the perform- the style of play more than the the and w- than worry about the the lack of potency going forward because I think when you throw Roberts and Willock into that team, I think it will make a difference. But Lyndon Dice didn't get a sniff, as I say. Ayala was brilliant. Scott Wharton played very well as well, uh, and a good win for Blackburn. Uh, on to our final game now of the weekend, Blackpool won Reading nil and a big win for Michael Apton in his, his first game in charge at Bloomfield Road. Uh, Callum Colony shot from a very tight angle, fired in after uh, Josh Bowler was denied by a very good save. And I think this Blackpool side probably will look a little bit different by the end of the window. They'll want to bring in some more players. Um, obviously, they've only got the two at the minute, Fiorini and Reese Williams, who both started in this one. I think it just showed at times how important Bowler's going to be for them. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation around him. He's got one year left on his deal. But I think there was a, a chance in the second half where he picked the ball up. Lovely Maisie dribble, curled shot, and he just came back off the post. And equally with the shot that he had just before the goal, uh, which Connolly fired in, I think you can just see how that, that sort of ball-carrying ability is something that's very rare in the championship and equally something that Blackpool certainly don't have a lot of players that can do that. You know, they play obviously want to play 4 3 3 this season. Um, it was Jerry Yates off the left, which is obviously a new one. So he's obviously a striker really playing out wide. So they're going to need that directness and, and that ball carrying ability from Bowler, that pace. And I thought he looked like the best player on the pitch, if I'm honest. It looked like things came alive when he sort of got involved. For Reading, 
they created a fair bit. I'd say 1.17 xG just couldn't take those chances really. They they changed shape and they went to a three four three, which I think probably is going to be the best way of keeping them in sort of any sort of defensive solidity. But you're already worried a little bit about where the goals will come from without Lucas Yao. But but then looking at the front three that started at the weekend, um, Tom Ince, Yaku Matein, Ovia Jaria, there is some quality there. It's just, are they going to be able to get fed enough to create those chances? But as I say, they created more, they had a better XG than Blackpool by the end of this game. So probably not as bad a performance as, as some might think, but equally they've got to be making a little bit more of those opportunities and beating the teams that are probably going to be in and around them, albeit it's only day one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like you said there, you would expect, you know, Blackpool and Reading to to be towards the, the bottom end of the league this season. You would expect that and might seem harsh to say that after just one game, but unfortunately, it's probably the the reality of where you would expect this Reading side to be this year with, with what's gone off, off the pitch over the last few months and the recruitment, obviously, even though it has arguably been better than what a lot expected, it's not been, you know, blisteringly good. But, like you said, where do the goals come from? That's the question for me. Obviously, Lucas Wow is injured again. Shock horror. He's just, you can't rely on the guy. That's the problem. You cannot rely on him. As good as he is when he's fully fit and firing, as he's proven over the last few years, when he's since he joined Reading from Sheffield Wednesday, he's just not fit enough to, you know, play consistently. He can't get into any sort of particular rhythm. Obviously, they've, they've bolstered their forward line this summer with Shane Long coming in came off the bench on Saturday for the last seven minutes, I think it was. But he's 35 now, Shane Long. Is he going to be the man that's going to get you the goals to, to you know, stave off that pre-season expectation, which is an unwanted tag of being relegation favourites? It's it's a situation that Paul Ince, to be fair, has, has had to deal with. Obviously, things above his head have not helped out in, in recent months. I'm still not convinced that he's the right man for the job long term, to be honest with you, and it? It might seem harsh to say that after game one, but it's something that I've said throughout the summer. I think going for him permanently was a will will be a mistake, but time will tell on that one. I could be left with egg on my face, but yeah, Reading, I don't know. But like you said, the, the, the performance in, in, in patches was there on Saturday. They did create things, but it's who's there to put the ball away without Lucas Schwab being on the pitch. For Blackpool, a good start for Michael Appleton, a really good start and... How you said earlier on there about Reading needing to win these sort of games, you feel this season these are the games that Blackpool need to win. So they'll be really pleased to have got off to a good start. At, you know, at home, clean sheet, three points, a really well taken goal from Catlin Connolly, and they did play well. Blackpool, to be fair, they threatened the the, uh, the Reading goal in the second half. Josh Bowler was the architect in chief, as he saw from was last year, and it it's going to be interesting to see how they kick on under Michael Appleton because there's been a lot of a lot of divide in opinion on him going back to Bloomfield Road. Did well at Lincoln over the course of his three years there. Up and down at Oxford. Obviously, first spell as Blackpool manager didn't go great. I think he only lasted 11 games the last time he was there. But you've got to give the guy a chance. He's a very, for me, he's a manager very much like Lee Johnson. He has up and down spells that are really, really high or absolutely rock bottom. So he's got off to a good start. And considering the recruitment this summer has been a little bit slow and a little bit underwhelming, it's a good start for Blackpool. They've got three points on the board and they can head into, you know, a full week of training this week with a, with a spring in their step ahead of game number two, which I think is away at Stoke City. Five uh, draws in the Championship this weekend. We'll go through them all in a little bit more depth than we would normally, given 
that half of the, the games this weekend ended all level. Probably the pick of the bunch was one that I didn't get to see, unfortunately. Middlesbrough 1, West Brom 1. I was obviously still finishing up at Ewood. Um, but from what I saw in the highlights, Middlesbrough definitely the best team in the first half, but just didn't take their chances. I think I think we, we saw that Isaiah Jones and Ryan Giles are going to be a lot of fun, aren't they? They're going to create a lot of goals oh, yes. and create, get a lot of assists. And I think if this game had been played out at the end of the transfer window, I think Chris Wilder's side would have been out of sight by half-time. Duncan Watmore spurned a, a glorious opportunity. And I think if Marcus Force and Cameron Archer, per se, were up front for Middlesbrough yesterday rather than uh, Akpom and uh, Watmore, I think Middlesbrough probably a f- two or three nil up by half time. That said, I do have to give credit to West Brom. I thought they were a lot better in the second half. And I think the strength and depth they've got in that squad compared to Middlesbrough showed a really nice link up from Wallace and Swift, which they'll be really pleased off for the leveller. And I thought Grady Dingana looked really bright when he came up, came on equally. He hopefully will have a really big season for West Brom after a couple of disappointing years. Tore up the championship uh, two years ago, three years ago now when, when they got promoted under Billich. So he'll be hoping to, to rediscover that form. But I think a draw probably was a fair result on the balance of the game. Maybe West Brom had the better chances, to be honest. But Middlesbrough could have been 2 or 3 nil by half-time. And that's the, the, the thing. If they had the, those top end forwards that they're, they're chasing after I think they, they'd have won this game of football because their chances came first ultimately the, the Middlesbrough performance if anything it summed up exactly what they needed in the transfer market that was exactly it it summed up what Chris Wilder needs and you know like you said Isaiah Jones and Ryan Giles particularly the latter in those two I thought was outstanding the first half against West Brom on Saturday Ryan Giles we know we saw what he could do last season in his loan spells at Cardiff and Blackburn Rovers. And he's going to be a real architect in that Middlesbrough team, you feel, from that left-wing back spot. And we know Chris Wilder from his time at Sheffield United, how reliant he is is on uh, on wing-backs. And Isaiah Jones and Giles, you know, combined pretty much on day one to set the ball rolling for Borough. It's just unfortunate that they didn't have that top-end striker that they desperately crave. Obviously, Marcus Force has come in from Brentford. He, He came off the bench on Saturday. And... I don't mean any disrespect to Duncan Watmore because he, he's done well for Middlesbrough since they brought him in. He, he really has done well. He's kind of revived his career a little bit. But I don't think he's the the focal point at the top end of that pitch for what Middlesbrough need for where they want to go and what they could potentially be capable of under Chris Wilder. And realistically, I think that the factor is, and I don't mean any disrespect to Middlesbrough, if you were to look at their squad on paper, you probably wouldn't consider them as a team that would be going for automatic promotion this year. I'll tell but you because the best of the... way to, to put this, my friend told, said this to me and it was absolutely true. If Chris Wilder was the manager of West Brom, you would absolutely, they would walk the league and like yeah. they would be everyone's favourites. And that is pretty much what we're just going to come on to with Borough is the fact that the brains in the dugout is what is their biggest asset, isn't it? Because, like I say, no disrespect to Borough, but their squad at the minute, as it stands on the 31st of July as we record this, with a month to go in the window, it's not a team that you would, you know, go and stick £10 on, on winning the league. But with Chris Wilder at the helm, you you feel confident enough to do it because of what a fantastic manager he is. And he, he is at this level. He's arguably one of the best in the division, possibly the best. So for me, I think Borough, the first half, was a real indication of what, you know, what they're going to be capable of this, this coming season. And if they source the strike of the need, which I'm sure they will, they could be a real force to be reckoned with. But West Brom in the second half certainly stepped it up. They improved. 
and their two new men combined, didn't they, for for the equalising goal? And you kind of thought felt it was a little bit scripted, really. And how many times are we going to see that this year with those two combining? Jed Wallace down the flank, cut back, John Swift, bang, 1-1. And, you know, Swift and Wallace, they, they were exceptional last season, particularly Swift in a red inside, you know, that was consistently poor. Obviously, Wallace and Millwall had uh, had better enjoyment last season, but still obviously not one of the top-end teams. So both of them have stepped up in terms of the, the club that they're playing for, but they're not going to be out of you know, out of their depth playing for teams like that. They've been two of the most consistent architects in the championship in the last four or five years between them. And for me, Steve Bruce, you know, people obviously very split on him and his his way of playing. But the second half, there was signs of life. They were under the caution the first half. Borough, to the credit, did really impose themselves on them. But the baggies did improve after the break. And Steve Bruce obviously got in the ears of his players at half time and had a word with them. And like I said on the on the preview episode last week, Steve Bruce knows his way out to get out of this division. He's done it four times. So he might divide opinion in his style and things like that, but the guy knows his way around the championship with the squad that he's got. He should be up there this season. So realistically, a point away at Middlesbrough on the opening day, that, that's not a bad result at all for West Brom. It's not a bad result for anybody, regardless of who you are. So two teams that you would expect you know, this season to, to be knocking on that door certainly at the top six at the very, very least. So, to be fair, probably probably a point apiece is a, is a good starting point for both teams. Yeah, another good point was for Rotherham United. They drew 1-0 with Swansea City at the New York Stadium. Uh, they're going to need to score a lot of goals, like the goals they scored through uh, Chiozzi Ogbené. They're going to have to cause issues from set-pieces like they did. Obviously, a fantastic strike from Harry Darling as well to draw things level. And uh, somehow, Michael Obafemi missing from a yard, which I think we'd have all pretty much banked on him scoring a near-open goal. Rotherham, of course, they're going to need to strengthen. They need forwards. I've, I've heard a few rumours that Ashley Fletcher is someone they're trying to sign on loan from Watford. Luke Plange is another one, uh, who's obviously at Crystal Palace now after leaving Derby. Those are a couple they'd like. I think Fletcher would add mobility, um, and I think he'd be a good signing. Obviously, he needs to resurrect his career as well. He's the, he's the striker they're trying to get at the moment, and Plange is another one that I've heard they're looking at. But a good point. I thought they defended well. They also caused problems, you know, going forward. Oh, Benny's going to be so important for them because he's the star man in that attack. Connor Washington works hard, but he's, you know, not many players could finish, what, 14th Charlton finish, score. I think he hit just about double figures and get a move at his age back up to the championship. So it just sort of, you know, it's a fair reflection of where Rotherham are at and where they're trying to recruit from. But he works hard for the team and, and those sort of players will always have a place in a Paul Warren team. But they need a little bit more quality to it. And then this was a game they could have won. Because if although Obafemi missed the sitter, <laughs> ultimately how missed. many times... If we're going to say Obafemi would score nine times out of ten in that situation, I would say Darling would probably score one times out of ten in the, the goal he scored. So it does level it things out and I think a point at a piece was probably a fair result. Yeah, it was a good it was a good starting point for Rotherham United because I, I looked at that fixture and I thought Swansea, they ended the season well last year. They're a side that, you know, can really turn the screw a little bit. And we always get them, you know, them flute results on the every day, like where some teams go away when four or five nil. And I just felt that that could have been one of them. But but Rotherham stood firm and and they really did, you know, announce themselves that they're, they're not here to be messed with. They're not going to be pushovers, not that they ever are under Paul Warren, but I, I actually looked at Rotherham's starting eleven within minutes of it coming out on Saturday afternoon. It flashed up on my phone. I looked at it and I thought, that is, 
you know, it's quite weak for a championship side. It's one of the weakest I can recall seeing in recent years. And then I saw Swansea and I thought this could be difficult for them. But Rotherham, in typical Paul Warren fashion, they stood up, they fought and they battled. And it's exactly what they do. So that'll be the key for them this year. And they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to fight for every single point they can get at the New York Stadium because they are, you would imagine, going to be the whipping boys on the road, you would expect. It might seem harsh to say that after the first weekend of the season, but a point at home to a team who I've backed to finish in the top six this year is, is a good starting point. It's a good basis to work on. Like you said, the goal where it came from is something that they're going to have to really utilise to the very best of their ability this year, long throws and things like that, because it's where they can impose themselves. They obviously need more more bodies through the door. And as you've said, they're looking at strikers. Paul Warren's been very open that he wants more bodies through the door and, and fresh ideas. But for Swansea, you, you kind of feel that they will be disappointed with the point there for me. I think they will have looked at that and thought, this is a good place for us to go to start the season, try and get three points on the board. And had Omafemi not um, put his name into the hat for the Miss of the Season award on the opening afternoon, he might they might well have got all three points. But I suppose it's better than losing, isn't it, on the day one? It's a point away from home. It's not the worst start in the world, but I think Swans would be disappointed. But just a word on Harry Darling. Ten goals last season for MK Dons. I said on the preview episode that I got a feeling that he was going to step up into the Championship quite well and adapt to Russell Martin's style. Not quite what I had in mind on day one, but what a goal that was. Absolutely phenomenal. Goal of the season contender already from him. And I think he's going to be quite a, you know, a bit like Scott Twine. He's, he's one of these that's come from MK Dons who I think will take the Championship by storm and be very, very comfortable at this level. So, good start for Rotherham. Swansea, they'll be content with it, but I think they would they would have certainly felt that it were two-point drop rather than one-point gained. Yeah, a lot of very, uh, a lot of Rob Dickey vibes I'm getting from Harry Darling mm, early on. Good point. I would really agree good, with that. Really good strike. Um, Sunday's game, which I, I watched in its entirety, Sunderland won, Coventry won. That that was a game really of two halves. It was the, the architectural game of two halves. Sunderland really good in the first half. They looked really compact, really well drilled. Um, I like the signings of Dan Ballard. Jack Clark was really lively down the left-hand side as well. But second half, Coventry were miles better. They deserved their equaliser, and it was a brilliant goal from from Jokerez, uh, beating two players in the power of the strike as well. Really good goal. I do think they missed the creativity of Callum O'Hare in the first half. He's missing with a hamstring problem, albeit there's there's big speculation about Burnley and his future. But I think as the as the legs of Sunderland tired and the game opened up, Coventry looked the most likely winners. And the subs they brought on, I thought, freshened things up as well. Uh, having five substitutes was was useful for them. The likes of Tyler Walker and uh, Fenteki Darbo coming on as well down the right hand side. It, it gave them a another dimension. So, thought some of them were really good in the first half. I like Ross Stewart. I think he'll cause a lot of problems for someone so tall. He's very mobile. Uh, can run the channels really well, and he caused a lot of problems for for Coventry down down uh, down in their defence. But I thought Sunderland tired a little bit second half, and Coventry looked a little bit fitter and a little bit stronger. Uh, and they probably were the more likely winners in the second half for, for sure, and a deserved equaliser they got in the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was a good game. I watched it myself, and you know, like you said, it was a game of two halves, but it was quite an entertaining spectacle for a one-one draw. Sunderland, you know, they, you you could sense that they were they were up for the occasion, the 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 thrill of being back in the championship after about three or four years away. The crowd was right up for it, as you would expect at a place up like that in the northeast. And, you know, they played well in the first half. They took the goal well with Jack Clark and they imposed themselves. Ross Stewart was, you know, leading the line. Didn't really get much of a chance. 
but imposed himself and made his presence known on the Coventry back line. And then obviously his opposite number, Victor Jokerez, in the second half came with a little bit of a little bit of magic. And obviously, you and I were talking during the game, and we were saying in the first half about how Callum O'Hare's absence was so noticeable. But in the second half, you wouldn't have noticed it because they really did step it up. And like you say, Sunderland they did seem to tire a little bit, didn't they? The legs seemed to be fading. And Coventry just seen that little bit more up and at it and were, were hungry for the equaliser. And had Matt Godden taken that chance earlier in the second half to make it 1-1, they could have quite easily won that game. But I think Coventry, they'll be... <coughs> excuse me. Coventry will be satisfied with a point, I think, away from home on the opening day of the season. You know, Sunderland, it's it's not going to be an easy place to go this year. The fans are always up for it. It's always a difficult, difficult spot to, to go and play and try and win. But I think for Sunderland... They are definitely in need of more firepower. I think that's noticeable. Ross Stewart will get goals, but he needs support around him. I think they need a little bit more flair up there. But like so many other clubs in the division this year, I think the manager is the greatest asset that Sunderland have got. Alex Neil, you know, he's he's a he's a bloody good manager at this level. That's the thing. He, he did well at Preston for several years to Norwich, the Premier League, back in 2015. That he's a good manager, and Sunderland, you know, if they if they add a few more players to their to their pool of talent by the end of the window, they could comfortably, I think, finish mid table this year. For Coventry, they're another one that you know, a bit like Swansea, can they make make that next step to the playoffs? I think they've certainly got it in them. Certainly, they've got goals in Jokerez. If Callum O'Hare stays, they've got arguably one of the best attacking midfielders in the league. Defensively. Pretty sound. I would like maybe perhaps another centre half to come in. I'll tell you who but, I was oh. really impressed with actually while we're talking. I thought Jonathan Panzo was really good at like, yeah. centre back on loan from Nottingham Forest. Obviously, hit the bar with that wonderful strike. But I was going to say, what a goal that would have been. He, he was a natural fit to replace yeah. Jake Clark Salter in that left sort of left channel. I thought he, he looked really good. And Mac, McFadzine as well was pretty solid, really, leading by example as he did throughout last season. So I think Mark Robbins has got a good basis to work with. There's some good players at Coventry, but you you know for for Coventry, obviously they they've not got one of the biggest budgets in the league, and is that temptation going to come if they get a big offer for one of their star players that they are going to be forced to cash in? And I know no no player is ever bigger than the club, and nobody's ever you know irreplaceable. But O'Hare, Jokeres, they're massively important players for Coventry, and both have excelled in the last twelve months and kicked on massively the Mark Robbins and. You do think that if they were to lose one of them or both of them before the end of the window, they could be in big trouble. So if they can keep them, I think they could be in for another successful season and just continue that gradual increase that they're on under Mark Robbins because they've improved year on year over the last five years. So if they keep them too, add a few more flashes of quality, I think they could be in for a good year again. Yeah, a couple of nil-nils. We'll just quickly recap. Wigan <coughs> nil, Preston nil. Um, big double save from uh, from Amos to deny Parrot and then Emil Reese the best chance of the game. Red card for Chad Evans, which I don't think you can have real any real complaints about. Good, solid point for Wigan on opening day. I think Preston will feel they probably had the better chances to win this one, though. Uh, and then Luton nil, Birmingham nil. There's just a there's a curse over Luton when it comes to Birmingham. It would appear on on in this occasion they obviously avoided defeat, unlike the two results where they lost eight nil on aggregate last year. And they did have the better chances. I thought Carlton Morris looked to fret, but Birmingham will be very happy with to come away from Kenilworth Road with a clean sheet. A good point, a good start for John Eustace. And on a slightly separate note, I think Christian Bielik's obviously a brilliant signing for them on loan from Derby County. And that rounds off this week's weekend's action in the Championship. This is the Championship Chat Podcast.
Going to round off the podcast now, George, with our shocks and bankers for next week. First ones of the season that we've recorded on the podcast. Who have you got for next weekend? Well, for a shock this weekend, I'm going to go for Blackpool to win at Stoke City. And it might seem a little bit surprising considering, obviously, Stoke that's lost the, their opening the, game. That's the Black- idea with a shock. Blackpool won theirs. I know it sounds a bit stupid, doesn't it? A bit double Dutch, really. But I think considering Blackpool, you know, they've been tipped to struggle this year and Stoke have been tipped for improvement. Be a first away game of the season for Blackpool and Michael Appleton. But just got a sneaky feeling that they might think the string a surprise here and, and get all three points. In terms of a banker, though, for this weekend, I'm going to go with Burnley to beat Luton. Very impressed by the Clarets on Friday night. Surprised that Luton didn't beat Birmingham on Saturday in their opening game. They'll be disappointed with that one. And obviously for Vincent Company, it'll be the first home game in charge. And you would think after, you know, what Burnley produced at Huddersfield on Friday, they're going to be in a they're going to be in a strong place to, to make it back-to-back wins and start their home campaign with a win as well. So going for Blackpool is my shock and Burnley is my bang. So I'm going for a Lancashire doubleheader this weekend. I've gone completely different. My shock is Millwall to win at Sheffield United. Obviously, we don't know how Sheffield United are going to kickstart. They play on Monday night away at Watford. But I think Millwall... I'm not... I'm not adamant Millwall will win at Bramall Lane, but I don't think United will beat them because I think I just I'm liking this Millwall team a lot at the minute. And my banker, I'm going for Coventry to beat Rotherham at home. Like what I saw from Coventry, particularly in that second half. And whilst I think Rotherham will be a decent fight and competition for people at home, we we know from their previous stints in the Championship that they certainly struggled away from home. So I think Coventry will break their duck, kickstart with a win at home at the uh, the Coventry City Building Society Stadium. And I think they will beat Rotherham at home as my banker and Millwall to get a result, we'll say, at Sheffield United for my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, to make sure you get the latest episodes every single week. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure you go and check them out at uh, www.cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.